I invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 20. Repeat offenders and the grace of God. I almost called it recidivism and the grace of God, uh, and you'll see why in a minute, but the word recidivism means that you're, uh, it's the practice of being a repeat offender. Um, all of our lawyers in the, in the room will understand that term. But we thought uh, maybe, you know, as we leave Genesis 19, we had a couple of studies there and a very dark chapter it was to look at. Some disturbing things there in chapter 19. But chapter 20, uh, you think, okay, we're getting, we're moving out of Sodom and Gomorrah, so hopefully something uh, more uh, bright and happy will come our way. Well, you're going to have to wait another week. Uh, we're going to see that Abraham is a repeat offender in a certain area next week when we get to chapter 21. Then we'll have some laughter and happiness with the birth of Isaac. But today we're going to look at chapter 20, uh, the whole chapter. Let's hear God's holy, inspired, and errant word. From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of his wife Sarah, said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, She is my sister, and she herself said, He is my brother? In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore I did not let you touch her. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do to me at every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took a sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. May God bless the reading and hearing 
of his holy word to us this morning. The movie Raising Arizona, which I am not sure I should use as an illustration this morning, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, That movie is a comedy about a fellow named H.I. McDonough. H.I. is a very unsuccessful petty thief who has the habit of robbing convenience stores with an unloaded weapon. Uh, he gets arrested numerous, numerous times in his life. Well, he's arrested so many times that he falls in love with a policewoman who works in the booking office, the person who's taking his picture all these times that he's in and out. And he always talks to her and finally falls in love and decides that he wants to change his life and marry this girl. And in one scene, he appears before the parole board for hopefully the last time. And the parole officer says to H.I., they got a name for people like you, H.I., recidivism, repeat offender. And H.I. replies, that's one bonehead name, but that ain't me anymore. Well, he does go on and get married. He gets a job. They get a starter home, which is a a trailer. Uh, But when they decide to have children, they find that they are unable to do so. And this, of course, causes a lot of stress on this young couple. And at that point, the, the movie goes haywire. It's a madcap, crazy, they steal a baby, and it's, uh, it's kind of weird and funny all at the same time. But uh, what we see happen to H.I. is that under the stress that all this causes in his life, he starts driving by convenience stores that aren't on the way home. And eventually he goes back to uh, rob uh, a convenience store. He is a recidivist, a repeat offender. And he goes back to the old behavior patterns under the stress of his life and the situations that he finds himself in. He eventually does at the end of the movie. Uh, Everything turns out okay. But in our passage today we see the same thing happen in Abraham's life. Abraham falls into an old sin, an old behavior pattern that threatens himself, that that threatens the people around him, and even threatens the promises of God. Back in chapter 12, Abram and Sarah are sojourning in Egypt because of a famine. Their lives are in upheaval. Uh, They are uprooted, they're looking for security and stability, so they travel down to Egypt where Abram tells them the same thing he does here, that Sarai is his sister. And, of course, Pharaoh, she's a beautiful woman, so Pharaoh takes her into his harem, and this ultimately brings a, a plague on Pharaoh's house. And so uh, Abram leaves there rebuked for what he's done, And you would have thought that Abram had learned his lesson. But here we see the same scenario played out once again in Abraham's life here in chapter 20. They got a name for people like Abraham. Recidivism. Repeat offender. Now, if we look at our own selves, certainly none of us will condemn Abraham here or say, well, how could he? We can say that. But if we look at our own lives... We know our own record of behavior and we know that there are certain sins and certain behavior patterns into which we are prone to fall, especially at the times when our lives are stressful. We have maybe a sense of insecurity, uh, any matter of reasons. But 
Just like H.I., just like Abraham, they got a name for people like us. Recidivism, repeat offender. Well, I have a friend who, is an engin- who has, owns an engineering company, and they do a lot of surveying for land purchases and, and for building sites. But one of their sidelines, one of the jobs that they do on occasion, is that they survey accident scenes. Uh, they do this in order to reenact the crash, in order to find out what had caused the crash. Uh, they measure the positions of the cars, they measure the skid marks, etc., and they gather all this information. And then they often uh, serve as expert witnesses in the court. Um, sin, especially habitual sin, can make a crash site out of your life. And it will wreck your life. And so I want us to examine it, survey it, look at it, look at the situation that Abraham is in, and to be able to ascertain what causes this. Why do we do these things? I want to look at two things. First of all, Abraham's sin, his habitual sin, to see the causes of it, the dangers of it, and and apply that to our lives. And then secondly, I want to look at the grace of God in this situation, and grow in our appreciation of God's preserving grace in our lives. Well, first we look at Abraham's sin. Uh, as we look at, this, at his sin, we, we need to ask ourselves, why? Why does he do this? Why did he fall back into this sinful, foolish behavior again when he was unsuccessful the first time he had uh, engaged in that? And this text gives us a few clues Uh, It seems, as we look at the text, that Abraham was discouraged, and this led him to doubt God. Verse 1 tells us that he was once again on the move. Uh, His life is unsettled. Uh, He uh, uh, was living uh, there in a tent by the Oaks of Mamre back in chapter 18, and now we see him moving. Uh, God had promised him land and descendants, but he had no land. He did not own any Uh, any one inch of land in the promised land. It was all someone else's, and he was just wandering around there. He's got no permanent place to live, and now uh, he's on the move. He travels down to Gerar, and it's on the very edge of the promised land. We don't know why he is there. Uh, Possibly he's moving away from Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities of the Jordan Valley. Perhaps the stench of Sulfur and brimstone pushed him to to move away from the area. Now, when you're wandering around in a place where you're not a citizen, safety is a concern. And he probably felt very unsafe where he was, traveling around without any law to protect him. And so he travels to this new area. And he has to or he feels like he has to rely on his own cunning to keep himself safe instead of relying on the Lord. You'll recall that God promised Abraham on more than one occasion that he would protect him, that he would bless him, that he was going to be a a blessing to the nations, that he was going to become a mighty nation. So we know, at least Abraham should know, that God is going to preserve his life and deliver the promises that he has given him. But maybe through seeing the destruction of Sodom after he prayed for it, uh, maybe he's discouraged because of Lot's life 
that we've been we looked at last week and 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 the the wreckage that is there uh, this all seems to have led him to be discouraged and under a lot of stress and of course when he's uprooted and moving it's difficult and there's also evidence here that he's experiencing some depression you'll notice how he sees everyone in a dark light he comes to Gerar and verse 11 tells us uh, that uh, I believe, you know, I, I did this because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So he's, he's worried about coming uh, amongst these strangers and he's worried that uh, his life is going to be in danger. But once we encounter Abimelech, we find that he's anything, uh, any, he's nothing like what uh, Abraham uh, imagines him to be. He's actually an honorable man. He has a strong sense of right and wrong. Abimelech has a, a dream that God gives him, and he listens to the Lord. He responds appropriately to what God tells him to do. He, he cries out to God and says, uh, I've done this, uh, I'm innocent. I, I didn't know she was his wife. He told me, and she said as well, that we're siblings. And so God affirms it. He says, yes, I know that you're innocent in this. So Abram has uh, given to uh, Abimelech, he has attributed to Abimelech wicked motives that he did not have. And you know when people get depressed, they think everybody is negative and dark and they see the worst in people. And that seems to be what Abraham's doing here. You look at Lot compared to Abraham, you know, Lot's problem was that he thought there was something good in Sodom when there wasn't. Well, Abraham makes the mistake of thinking there was nothing good in Gerar when there was. So two extremes that we see exhibited here. So Abraham is encountering discouragement. He's, he's having doubts about God's promises. Maybe he's experiencing some depression. Uh, all of this led him to become very selfish and self-interested, self-absorbed, self-centered. Look at verse 13. He, he makes a deal with Sarah and says, This is the kindness you must do to me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. You notice that he's only interested in his own skin, his own life. It's all about Abraham. Do me this kindness. Make sure my life is preserved, Sarah. Now one would have thought that Abraham would have done just the opposite. That he would have protected Sarah at all costs, if not just for the simple fact that she's his wife, but also the one that uh, just two chapters ago has promised to bear the, the child, the promised child that it's going to happen within the year. God came personally to Abraham and Sarah and told him that. And so you think, hey, I need to protect this woman. She's going to be bearing the promised child. And if you look at the timeline, she might even be pregnant at this moment. And certainly she soon would be. But discouragement and doubt and depression can lead us to become so self-absorbed that we only care about our, our comfort. Because of our 
difficult circumstances in which we might find ourselves, doubt, disbelief, depression, negativity, lead us to become selfish. We want what we want. We want comfort and we want it now. We want security. We want it now. And we'll do whatever we can do, whatever we want to do, whatever we decide to do, to get those things. And our lives come to revolve around our own personal agenda. And in essence, we are saying, my will be done, my kingdom come, when we should be saying, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, Lord. See, Abraham stopped saying that, and he was more interested in his own security. So we need to be on the watch for discouragement and disbelief and depression because that leads us to become self-absorbed, self-centered, selfish. We, we look for our, our agenda instead of God's agenda. Be on the watch for those things and pray that we might not enter into temptation because sin is a big deal. Now you might not think it's a big deal. Abraham doesn't seem to think it's a big deal here, but it is a big deal. What do you think? Uh, we, might, we might say, well, look, in the end, things turn out well for Abraham. You know, he, he gets more money, more sheep, all these things he gets. And uh, everybody turns out okay in the end. And, you know, it was just a little lie. It was like a half-truth. He actually was, they were siblings, half-siblings. So he didn't actually lie. And that's what he says in verse 12. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, say that's, that's a problem there, just the way he expresses that. God caused me to wander, like, uh, you know, like he, it was against his will. But God invited him to come, and he came willingly. I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. Say you're my... Say, I'm your brother. Well, it was only this half-truth, only a half-lie, a little one. But you have to look at the danger that it caused, the wreckage that it caused in the whole situation, just because of this little half-truth, this little sin. And it shows us the danger of sin and the seriousness of sin. When we fall into habitual sins, certainly our mindset is that it's not a big deal or no one will know, or I can get away with this, and there will be no consequences. But you see the consequences here in this chapter. First, Abraham endangers himself. His soul is in danger because of this. Because it is an old sin. It's a sin that he's already committed in the past, and he has been rebuked for it, and he has had to come to a place where he understands that this was the wrong thing to do, and I believe he does that. You see there's evidence of it in chapter 12 and 13. But uh, when you engage in an old sin, and you become like Abraham seems to be becoming, self-absorbed and self-interested, uh, you become callous to the sin. You know, if you work, you, know, you get calluses on your fingers, and you know you can actually... Uh, you know, stick a knife or a pen in the callus and you don't even feel it. Well, our hearts can become that way. When we continuously engage in the same sins, it does damage to our souls. It makes our hearts hard. And it seems that Abraham's heart is hard because when he talks to Abimelech about this sin, he says, this is what we do. You know, when we travel around, uh, we tell people that uh, we're half brother, half sister. You know, we, we tell people they're my siblings and 
that I don't tell anybody that she's my wife, and you know this is just our practice. So he's not he doesn't have a conscience about it anymore. You know he thinks it's no big deal, and that's what will happen to us if we continue to engage in habitual sin. It pretty soon it becomes no big deal, and you look at our world around us. People have engaged in sin and sin and sin, and now they talk about it like it's the normal way that people should live. Their hearts have become hardened. So he's doing danger to himself. It also does damage to himself, and it damages his witness. You know, he gets rebuked pretty sternly by Abimelech, who's a pagan, who doesn't believe in God at all. So how can Abraham be a blessing to the nations when he's being rebuked by Abimelech? You know, he's put himself in a position to damage his witness. He can't point to his God and say, my God is faithful and you should follow my God. He can't say that. Uh, You know, God is a great, merciful God and he has wonderful promises because Abraham is treating those promises with contempt by his behavior. Of course, the same way, when we engage in habitual sin, we, we have no moral authority. We have no witness. You know, people won't listen to us when we, they'll say, well, they're no different than, than anybody else. They live the same way as the rest of the world. Their Christianity is ineffective in their own lives. So sin causes danger to ourselves. It also endangers others. We see it endangering Sarah, obviously. Here she is being taken by a pagan king into his harem. And, you know, that's, that's a dangerous place for her to be. It also endangers Abimelech and his household. They aren't able to have children. There's some kind of uh, malady that's been inflicted upon them because of Abraham's action. They didn't do anything wrong. And here they are getting consequences for Abraham's sin. When you engage in habitual sin, you may not think it, but you are hurting other people around you. Pornography is a great example. People think that they can go look at pornography on the Internet and nobody will know about it. And they think it's not hurting anybody. Well, it's damaging your soul. And it is damaging your relationship with other people. Other people do reap the consequences of that action. That's just one sin. There are many that we could, well, we could point to any sin, all sin. Not only damages yourself, but it hurts those around you. And then we also see that, that uh, Abraham's sin endangers the gospel. You know, God has made promises, and especially this promise, uh, to give them a child through which the Messiah will eventually come. And here she is, the wife of a pagan king. You know, what if... Abimelech had done something to Sarah. Uh, what if they, she, had, she had gotten pregnant by Abimelech? That would be a disaster for the gospel. That would change the course of history. Well, we might think our habitual sin is a little insignificant thing, but it is not. The consequence uh, of sin goes beyond our imaginations. If only we could see clearly the danger we are putting ourselves and others in with our habitual sins, we might not run to them so quickly. And I hope that's the case today. We need not forget the seriousness of sin and the corruption that remains in our hearts. So watch and pray that we do not enter into temptation. Well, God's grace, just briefly and quickly, uh, I hate to give this short shrift, but... uh, 
but I won't because it's so clear what God's doing here. God, in His grace, He overrules sin. You know, whatever uh, Abraham has done, God is controlling the situation. He, he doesn't allow uh, Abimelech to engage in sin with Sarah. He says in verse, th- uh, verse 6, It was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. So, so God is preserving His promises. He's preserving Sarah. He's preserving Abimelech and Abimelech's family and the people of Gerar. God is intervening to make sure that this disaster doesn't have even deeper consequences. And then ultimately, God protects and blesses everyone. Because uh, Abraham, in spite of his sin, uh, is preserved from having a disaster made out of his life and everybody that flows from him. And and as well, uh, he walks away with uh, material blessings because God intervenes. And I believe God gave the material blessings because uh, because it exonerates Sarah. He's giving her a thousand thousand coins, a thousand pieces of, of gold, uh, whatever it is. And he, that's uh, you know, 20 times the price uh, that Scripture gives. So he's saying, look, I didn't do anything, and you're vindicated, and, and it says to the world, look, this Isaac that's about to be born in chapter 21, Abimelech had nothing to do with that. And, and God is so interested in vindicating Sarah that he gives this enormous sum of money to Abraham. So God is faithful. He protects and blesses everyone, and he's faithful to preserve his promises. It's made clear that Abimelech could not possibly be the father of the coming child. So we shouldn't think, though, that, okay, everything turned out okay, so sin is no big deal. But we should think this. Wow. If God left me to my own devices, I will make a train wreck of my life. If he didn't intervene with his grace, it would be awful. It would be a disaster. Uh, We would completely destroy ourselves and those around us. Because there's a name for people like us. Recidivism. Repeat offenders. We need to examine ourselves and look at ourselves and see where we do have these habitual sins and, and ask the Lord to help and give us grace and strength to stand against those things. He is the one who can intervene and does intervene to cause us to persevere. We need not take Him for granted, but give thanks for His grace, and to grow in grace by being watchful to not fall into sin, and by praying for a greater measure of the Spirit's influence in our lives. And study God's Word to remind yourselves of all the promises that God has given and that there are also warnings that must be heeded. Well, let's thank the Lord for His intervening grace and His faithful to His covenant promises. Without Him, we would be nothing and we could do nothing. But God overrules our sin for His purposes and causes us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. May the Lord do so today in our hearts. Let's pray.